Lord, where else could we go? When it looked like all was lost, when you knew what you were walking into for the weekends, what you did is you met in gentleness. You served your disciples. You broke bread with them. You stilled the calm and the chaos when you told Judas to do what he must. You told Peter to put away his sword. The same Jesus who calmed the wind and the waves walked willingly into what he would endure this weekend. So Lord, we, we rest in the Lord of hosts who wins every battle, who shuts down every war. God, where else could we go? God, I pray that you would help our head and hearts to be connected tonight. Would you help us to feel what we know to be true? And would you reveal to us more and more about your character and your love? As we seek after the gentle Lord of hosts, reveal yourself to us. We pray this in the name of our great God, our wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you have a seat? As we prepare to hear from Tony, we're going to be looking at the heart of Jesus revealed through how he treated Judas. And as I've reflected and prepared for this evening, I've found a lot in common between myself and Judas and the ways that I have seen God move and trusted him. And in spite of that, chosen sin repeatedly. And I've seen the heart of Jesus revealed to me the same way that he has revealed it to Judas. So I want to invite you to, whether it's closing your eyes and listening or reading the lyrics off the screen, just reflect on this as we prepare our hearts to hear what Tony has brought for us. Trusted and loved, abused all the blessings of knowing the Son, traded it all for his God of greed, shepherd betrayed by the teeth of the sheep. Shepherd and teacher with students and sheep, the permanent presence of every good thing. I've traded it all for a moment so cheap. I act like Judas, the traitorous thief. If Judas can't live with his shame and regret, show suffocation in blood instead how can i live with my shame and regret is judas more holy than me in his death if jesus knew trees and come from his friend then why did he break bread and serve him again jesus the victim of judas and me jesus the lowly washed both of our feet jesus the victim of judas and me jesus the lowly washed both of our feet Lord, I pray that the love that you showed, even in the midst of being betrayed, being hurt, even being misunderstood by all your disciples, pray that that love would be revealed to us. As we prepare our hearts for communion, God, let us practice your presence tonight. 
We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it wasn't an ordinary week for those who were coming into Jerusalem. The masses were gathering. It was Passover. They were coming to take remembrance of how God provided a way of protection and saving uh, while he brought judgment upon Egypt. And through the practices of Passover, it's cemented from generation to generation what was actually going to happen for all the world. Was that not just a single nation that would be saved by the blood of a lamb, but there would be people from every nation that would be saved by the lamb. Every year as I prepare for Monday, Thursday, and you're taking into consideration all that happened that night, and, and I know 80% of the Gospels are speaking to that final uh, week of Jesus' life, when you look at just by the word content, and then of that 80%, uh, the majority of it is about one single evening, and that is tonight. And as part of this night, we're gonna consider Judas. I've never studied just Judas. It's not exactly the, the character any of us aspire to. If you notice, out of all the biblical names that get used to give to children from generation to generation, Judas is kind of lost, and for good reason. Who would want to name their child after the, the most despicable character, if you will, in all of Scripture? But Judas is first mentioned about 500 years ahead of his own birth. In Zechariah chapter 11, verses 12 and 13, it says, I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they valued me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them to the potter at the house of the Lord. You may not realize this in scripture, but that 30 pieces of silver was actually the price that was to be paid back to someone whose slave might have been damaged by another. So if you were a slave owner and your slave had been damaged by somebody else, the Jewish requirement was to pay that person back 30 pieces of silver. So when Zechariah writes this, saying that there is going to be this character who is going to pay the price, uh, be paid the price of 30 pieces of silver for the damage of a slave. He will take the 30 pieces of silver and it will become toxic in his hands and it'll be casted before the potter. 500 years ahead of Judas's life. We know that on the night that, that Judas betrayed Jesus, on this night that we're talking, he had agreed to the payment of 30 pieces of silver to betray his rabbi, his teacher, his master. And all he received for it was if he had just lost his slave. It's a humiliating price is really what it is. Jesus could have had the story written about him that it was a ransom of a price that was paid for him. But no, as God would orchestrate to show the humility of God and the humility of his son, that it was this level of commitment that God had that he would come not to condemn the world,
but to save it. He didn't come to treat people with the iron fist, but rather to serve. In Psalm 41, verse 9, David wrote, Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who had shared my bread, has turned against me. Jesus quotes that very verse in John chapter 13, verse 18, when speaking of Judas. A close friend, someone he trusted, shared his bread, turned against him. David also writes and also is referred to as being prophetic in the New Testament. In Psalm 55, it says this, if an enemy were insulting me, I could endure it. If a foe was rising against me, I could hide. But it is you, a man like myself, my companion and my close friend, with whom I once enjoyed sweet fellowship in the house of God as we walked about the worshipers, walked about among the worshipers. That's who rose against me. Again, speaking of a time when the Messiah, the chosen one, would be rejected by his very own. Then it was said, again, prophetically by David, may his days be few and may another take his place of leadership. Disciples quote that. You'll see it in Acts when they realize well, Judas is no longer with us. We need to replace him to fulfill this verse. All these texts, hundreds of years before Judas's birth, Judas also would have known these scriptures. So imagine once this has all come about, what must have been upon his heart and mind when he realized, I'm the one. Jesus said that even before Judas was born, this was the plan for his life. We don't understand always the sovereignty of God and how it works. But we do know, and we're gonna see that the heart of God is compassionate, caring, merciful, and gracious. But when you read the tragic story of Judas from the Old Testament to New. I just think, why wasn't it me? Why wasn't it you? Jesus said this in praying on this very night, but now in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says this, I remain in the world talking to his father. He says, I remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. Why this hits me, Judas hadn't done anything before he was already doomed. I hadn't done anything before God chose to save me. That is a grace. The fact that if any of you have a relationship with Jesus, you have to understand just what an amazing grace you've been given. That before you were ever born, God chose you. A grace given to you. But to capture the heart of God manifested through the heart of Jesus... 
to which Alex just sung about. Jesus did not withhold his love even from an enemy that would never turn. Think about what the accusations were towards Jesus as he did his ministry for those three years. Who did he dine with that the Pharisees were so frustrated by? Tax collectors, those who had turned and rejected and were fleecing their own people. Gentiles, uncircumcised ones, ones that had actually oppressed the nation of Israel. Prostitutes, the lowest among women, These were the ones Jesus ate with. But let me also remind you as to who he was eating with as well were the Pharisees. Many of whom would never turn. But he still dined with them. Still answered their questions that were meant to entrap him. Still gave him hospitality even though knowing in his mind which ones would turn and those who would not, he welcomed them to his table and ate with them. So consider now with that picture painted, as I read from John chapter 13, capturing the moment on this night when he was about to wash their feet. It was just before the Passover festival. And Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to portray Jesus. The deal had already been made. Yet Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you gonna wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Jesus responded, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, returned to his place, and said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. I'm not referring to all of you. I know that those who I have chosen, but, to this, but this is to fulfill the passage of Scripture. He who has shared my bread has turned against me. We know from one of the other gospels, well, actually the other rest of the gospels speak to the moment when he mentions that one of you is going to betray. It wasn't just one time, it was twice in that evening. And when they ask, well, who is going to betray? And he says, the one who dips his bread into the cup now and I give to them. Jesus had just displayed the greatest act of love he could just give to them without the next greatest act 
that was going to happen the next day that would be the, the act of all time of love. And that was to show that what power looks like when led by God. And what power looks like when led by God, it isn't to rule with the iron fist. It is to build up those who are in need of his help. Jesus modeled for his disciples that his kingdom was gonna be different from any other kingdom, that as king, he would come off the throne, come down and serve as the lowest servant would serve to esteem the people, to build them up. And then they were commissioned to do as he had done. But what kind of king would do this knowing the very one who would sell him out? Let alone, let's not just focus in on Judas in this moment. If you keep reading in John, you're gonna discover that after Judas leaves and they're all arguing about the fact that, you know, here's the betrayer and then one says, oh, I'll never do that. Which leads once again into that great conversation they'd have multiple times and been rebuked for multiple times. Which of them was going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? How embarrassed John and Matthew, who were at that table that night, must be writing this down, realizing that Jesus had been so humble, so loving in that moment, and the way they responded to it was arguing once again, which of them would be standing the strongest. Peter didn't like being called out very soon after this, that he's gonna deny him three times. They didn't like when they heard that they were going to scatter and leave. That's just why Peter says, I'll never leave you. So when you bring that into picture, what you realize is that Jesus just washed the feet of not only the betrayer, but to the insecure, to the prideful, and to those who would leave him at his greatest point of need the fearful yet he served them and he modeled for them he didn't measure the love you didn't see any difference by how he treated Ju the Judas from the other 11 which is why they had to ask who is it because his behavior didn't show anything different so what do we take from him in this moment we take from the cue of Jesus that we do not measure our love based on what we think the response will be. Because think about it. If God measured the grace according to those who rose high enough on his meter of worthiness, would any of us have been worthy enough for that grace? No. So what I learned from this moment and thinking through the eyes of Judas is that God does not measure his love based on what, they th what he thinks or what he knows about the response. And so we take our cue from him. We don't know whose hearts might be changed by an act of love we might give. So why would we withhold from somebody that we think is not worthy of our love? We all have unlovely, lovely people in our lives. We're gonna be gathered with family and some of them are really hard to love. And it may be difficult to love even on this particular Sunday coming when we gather on Sunday afternoon. But at Jesus' table, you would never know those who are the unloving ones, unloving ones, and the ones that you like or dislike. Jesus loved them all. Which is why I then take my cue from Romans 5, 8. 
But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while you and I were still sinners, he died for us. And those are the words that will let soak over us as we approach the table tonight together. So how we're doing this this evening, if you've not been with us on a Maundy Thursday, this is an opportunity of more of a family style of communion. There are communion tables that are, there's one right here in front of me. There are two in back. You can go at any time during the next three Psalms. You can take time to just pray by yourself. And at the moment you feel like your heart is prepared, you can go to one of those three tables. And when you pick up the bread and the cup and you can kind of step aside from the table, have a private moment and acknowledge that the bread represents the body of Christ, which was for you. So when you take and eat it, being mindful of who he is and the love he shows. And then take of the cup and remember that that cup represents his blood that becomes the all-sufficient sacrifice, a once and for all sacrifice as the Lamb of God that covers our sins. And then you take of that as part of the new covenant. We also have washing tables. There are two over here and two over here with pitchers of water. You can choose to serve someone else that God puts upon your heart to either wash their hands or to wash their feet. Take the pitcher, pour the water over their feet or pour the water over their hands and there are towels to dry as an act of service, as an act of love. Jesus said, and when you do this, the expectation was that we would follow his model of servitude. Now, we don't walk around in bare feet as, as they did or with open-toed sandals as they did on, on dusty roads. But it's the model of, that's why we include the hands because that's what's most exposed for us. The feet is included because that's where it takes. It's the humble service to one another. And that's what we do. So again, you can do the washing of somebody's hands or feet or to take communion or do both during the next two songs or three songs, but during the third song, we'll be asking everybody to stand. But during the first two, you can choose to stand, you can choose to sit, you can choose to participate in communion whenever you want or of washing of feet. This time is yours. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us.
the perfect son of God in all his innocence you're walking in the dirt with you and me he knows what living is he's acquainted with our grief a man of sorrow son of suffering oh blood and tears how can it be there's a god who weeps there's a god who bleeds 
as we turn our eyes towards him in response, let's stand together. Sing together that there is a fountain filled with the blood of our Savior.
Savior, seeing that nothing else can atone.
together, let's sing glory, glory. set our hearts on that truth that nothing else could atone so as we go tonight it is the end of our time now but it is not an end it is a beginning because we know that Sunday is coming so as you go to bed tonight I'm just praying that you would rest in the fact that the blood has been spilled and we are looking forward to Sunday morning the church We'll see you on Sunday. You are dismissed.